Welcome back to another episode of Not Even D2, the podcast covering Division Three sports through interviews with those involved in Division Three. Before we talk about today's episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to my boy and co-host Naruta, who was just recognized last week as Utica's Empire 8 Sportsman of the Year. Great accomplishment for him. Really speaks to the type of person he is, always bringing a positive energy to whatever setting he's in. Um, and then a few days later, his team won the Empire 8 Championship. So I know he's feeling great right now. Uh, he deserves it all. So keep doing what you're doing. We're, we're definitely proud of you over here. But today's episode, we have Teja Singh, one of the smoothest players in the NESCAC and maybe even Division Three as a whole. He talked about it a little bit in the episode, how he can create his own shot against anyone. We get in a, a ton with Teja regarding basketball, religion, how his religion interferes slash interacts with his basketball performance and how he interacts with opposing fans. So definitely an interesting episode to listen to. And uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode. And let's get into a conversation with Teja. All right, we're here with Teja and Naruda. How you guys feeling today? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? Chilling, chilling. Um, how's the off season been? Feeling, on, uh, wait, I was gonna say go. I'm feeling pretty good, KJ. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I know you are. We'll we'll talk a little <laughs> about that in a little bit. But um, how's the off season for you? Like, do you watch the NESCAC playoffs even though you guys aren't in it? Anymore? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know the the off season's been good so far. Um, I did, I caught, I caught some of the, uh, championship game today between, uh, Trinity and, and Williams and saw some of that. I didn't see the, I caught the scores of the yesterday games. I didn't watch it though, but, um, yeah, I guess get my mind a little bit off it, but no, the off season has <laughs> been good. So, yeah, I got you. So this is a question for both of you. I feel the, the odd person out. You guys both won league championships. Ruda, you did yesterday. So. Let's start with you. Like, what's the overall feeling and like experience of winning a conference tournament and then knowing you're moving on to the NCAAs? I mean, one, I think it's just a grateful feeling because we put so much work in just as all like basketball players, like in the summer, in the spring, and in fall. Like, you know, this year in D3, we were allowed to have eight practices, you know, before October 15th. So it's like we were working from day one and we grinded, and it's just a relief you know, to to get it done on our home floor, too, because we lost, you know, the last two years. And we went up against a really good Nazareth team, too, um, who's has really good players and good coaches. But it's just really just a great feeling and relief, grateful, all that good stuff. Fire, fire. What about you, Teja? What, what was your experience like? Yeah, man, similar things. Um, for me, it, yeah, it starts from the year before where we had – Pretty much a similar team. We only lost two seniors and we had a pretty bad season. Um, and it really started, you know, the weeks right after that season ended where you saw guys in the gym every single day. You saw the work ethic and it, and it really paid off throughout the spring, summer. You know, we were in good shape in the fall. Um, and even that first half of the year, we really struggled. Like we knew we had a lot of talent, um, but we, you know, we had a bad loss to Utica early on. Um, <laughs> But we kind of turned it around and found our identity. And then you see when the consistency of the work pays off. And then 
being in the spot where you have a losing record early on and then now you're in the NESCAC championship you're up like five six with a minute left and you realize you're really about to get it done like for me it was surreal um I didn't really internalize it until a couple days later um and it it was just the greatest feeling though and I was happy for happy for me but just also happy for my team and those seniors that have that have really grinded their ass off I appreciate both of your perspectives, but I'm good on this conversation. Uh, I don't got nothing to add for you guys. So let's get into a little about your upbringing and talk about how what you went through during your upbringing led you to start playing basketball. Yeah, so I was um, I was born in Chicago, um, and really what brought me into basketball was my dad. So he played pretty much his whole life. Um, he didn't play like competitive high school or anything or in college or anything like that. But I know that in his like 20s, 30s and 40s, he had him and his friend group would just play pickup like all the time. And so he didn't really like force me into basketball or anything like that. But I just remember always being in like the gym with him, um, just had basketballs all around. And so for me, it was like I had an older I have an older brother, too, who's three years older. Um, and so he picked up basketball. I see my dad playing basketball. So it's just something I gravitated towards. Um, and I just kind of wanted to to be like them. Um, and they both challenged me. Neither of them like took it easy on me being the younger, youngest one. But, um, and I, I feel like I, I had a little bit of a natural knack for it. Um, so I just gravitated towards it. Um, when I moved to Boston when I was three years old, four years old. Um, and that was during like the Celtics big three era. Um, so being able to watch them, you know, just made me love it even more. And then I really, I moved to Seattle when I was seven. And that's kind of when I started seriously playing like for your AAU programs and Seattle has a great, great hoop scene. Um, and so just being surrounded by that really, I think made me realize how much work you have to put in to be successful around some like the most talented hoopers in the country. Um, and so all that kind of that whole environment kind of I think led to it. Um, yeah. One quick question for you: How old were you when you first uh, when you beat your dad and your brother? How old were you? In one on one. Damn. So my dad, I think my brother, not until I was eighth or ninth grade, and <laughs> he was so he was a junior senior. My dad, it's always a bit unfair because he. The trajectory of our ages like I'm starting to peak while he's kind of falling off I always say though my dad's a better shooter than like me or my brother like he he really was a sniper I have never seen someone shoot like that um but yeah so as I got into high school he stopped playing as much and so I was able to beat him but it's always competitive I love playing with him um but I wanted you to kind of explain more about the Seattle hoop scene because obviously a lot of good players come from Seattle Isaiah Isaiah Thomas or he's from Washington but um, Isaiah Thomas, Paulo, um, DeJounte Murray, to name a few. So just talk about what the hoop scene was like, you know, growing up there. Yeah, you know, the hoop scene is crazy in Seattle. I don't think a lot of people realize. Um, the one thing is that Seattle isn't huge. And so the 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 hoop scene is very kind of tight-knit. Um, I started playing like very competitive around fourth or fifth grade. And those same kids that, you know, I was playing around, same open gyms, trainings, it's the same kids throughout high school. Um, and so it's very tight-knit. Um, you know everyone from a young age, kind of. And it's very much like a homegrown talent. Um, like, we don't have 
like prep schools or anything like that. You know, a lot of the kids, you just grow up um, from the city and there's a few different programs that everyone kind of gets into. Um, and, and there's just kind of this culture, like you're talking about with, you have, I think the, the biggest impact on the city really is Jamal Crawford. Um, like he's around a lot. We have, he has the pro-am. Um, he's a, like he, it's the type of thing where he's around and like, you don't even say what's up or like, you don't even like ask for an autograph or take a picture. Cause he's just like one of the, one of the dudes in Seattle, you don't act like he's a celebrity around there. Um, and so seeing dudes like that, I think it's just created like the precedent of, of the type of Hooper that comes to, out of Seattle. Um, and you definitely, it is very guard heavy. So everyone kind of has that like bag and that, and that kind of like style to them. Um, and so to be successful, like you really got to, to grind um because you got a lot of talent there have you ever gotten to play in one of those programs or not no i haven't i've uh i've talked about it i i, I want to at some point because i know they have open tryouts for the teams and then that would just be a summer league and then obviously they have like the invite ones actually what's crazy was crazy story last summer you remember hearing when lebron and jason tatum pulled up to the program mm-hmm. yeah so they they um i was in vancouver which is like a three-hour drive away from seattle in canada and they tweeted that lebron and tatum are coming to the pro-am and i was like you were like yo and my brother does film if you've ever seen like my instagram he he makes all those mixtapes and stuff and so he's connected he wanted to film there obviously i wanted to go so we drove back at like midnight and from six the pro-am was supposed to be 5 p.m i think at 6 a.m there's like a line for two miles out and so one of my friends was in line. I joined in at like, I think it was like 8 a.m. And around like noon, the line broke down and everyone, it's just a huge clump of people. And we were waiting for like 12 hours. It was crazy. Like, and crazy. they actually never ended up letting anyone in from the outside because it would have been such a, cra- like they wouldn't have been in control everyone because they would have just rushed. Yeah. We ended up getting, my brother was in there because he had a media pass. And like right before the game started, me and my friends were able to get in, just kind of like someone pushed through the police guards there and we just kind of ran in and got into the gym. It was insane. Like you walk in, LeBron is right there. You got Tatum. Yeah, it was wild. Wild experience. No, that's tough. That's tough. You traveled a, a lot in your life from Chicago to Boston to Seattle and Seattle to New York is over 40 hours of driving. So talk to me about what was appealing coming to Hamilton and deciding to uh, continue your education there? Yeah. So it was, it was weird. Um, the whole recruiting process. Um, I'm sure it was with you guys too, with, with COVID um, where that junior year, you know, I was supposed to play AAU and go to a bunch of camps and kind of get exposure that way. And with COVID, I wasn't able to do any of that. And so my coach had sent out, my film I had reached out to some schools with some luck and and some were interested based on pure film and my coach sent out film to this database of like all the NCAA coaches and so from there it was kind of just like a waiting game of a bunch of coaches reached out I had never heard of Hamilton or the NESCAC like I really knew nothing about the east coast schools and going into it like I wanted to like I've always lived in cities um I didn't want to go too far from home um and kind of getting down to it, 
you know, Coach Stockwell reached out and he was one of those coaches where he he reached out and he just kept like he would reach out every week. And it wasn't just like, you know, some coaches will tell you, um, you know, we want you, you're going to have this role, like you're going to be our star player, this type of thing. Like we really didn't talk about basketball all that much. Um, we talked about like kind of what role I would play, like he wanted me to play point guard on the team, this is kind of the style that the team plays at. But he was one of those coaches where it, it was really clear that he was invested and cared about you as a person. Um, and so that's kind of what I was attracted towards because I didn't, I didn't had nothing else to base my decision off of. Um, and then obviously Hamilton um, is a great school that's always been huge for for me and my family is I want to go somewhere to play basketball, but also somewhere that has good that's good academically. But in terms of like small town, small school, like it, it wasn't something that I was going into it thinking that I wanted to go into that situation. But um, just be based on the academic and basketball situation. I kind of took a chance because I didn't have really any other, a lot of other options of where coaches were really interested in me. So I was like, you know what, I'll take a chance and, and see what happens. And so I, it was one of those things where I didn't come in freshman year, like the normal recruit where you got to visit and you're like, man, I'm so hyped to be on campus, this and that. It was like, I don't really know what to expect. And obviously it worked out great. Um, and I'm so glad I made the decision, but coming in, it was definitely interesting because because it wasn't like, um, you know, I like chosen this school based on all the things I loved about it because I didn't really know. Yeah. So just going into your freshman year, um, what was kind of like your mindset just basketball wise? Because obviously we, earlier we kind of talked about how a competitive Seattle hoop scene is. So what was your confidence like, even though going in, you're like, I don't know what to, what to expect. Yeah, so going in, um, that's like I'm one of those people where to thrive, especially in like Seattle, you, you kind of have to have that confidence where you can um, kind of thrive on any level. Um, so I knew that I could make a huge impact at whatever program I was going to go to. And I knew that my skill level was, was great and, and I was going to thrive. Um, but coming in at the same time, you know, in Seattle, I played for one of the best AU programs in the state since like fifth grade. Rotary, and right? Seattle Rotary, is that it? I, no, I didn't play for Rotary. I played for you. Probably haven't uh, haven't heard of them, Seattle Future. Um, mm -hmm. But we we would play against the Rotaries and and all of them. But playing against those types of programs, it kind of gives you that sense of like humility, to where like these kids are leagues ahead of you at like fifth and sixth grade. So you kind of internalize if I want to be successful, like nothing's really given. Um, and so it was kind of that balance of where. I had a lot of confidence, but I, I was never going into a situation thinking like things are going to be given to me. Um, and so looking back, I feel like I could have come in, um, you know, my freshman year, I had the opportunity to play a bunch, some, a lot of it because of injuries, um, but I was kind of able to make an impact. But really coming in, I was like, I'm not really expecting, like I got to kind of work for, for my playing time and, and, and what I get. And so coming in, I wasn't really expecting much. I was just like, let me try to show who I am and, um, and yeah. Respect. Ruda disagrees with me on this statement, but in my opinion, NESCAC, one of the best conferences in the nation. You got great teams like Williams, Tufts, Trinity, Wesleyan. And last year, you guys finished 29, 7 and 3 in the NESCAC with the postseason championship. 
So talk to me what that season was like and what it was like winning the NESCAC and what it took to actually win it. Yeah. Um, yeah, NESCAC, NESCAC is a good league. I, I know that you might disagree with that. Um, no, no, it's but... good. It's good. It's it's a good league. It's a good league. I, I will say that. <laughs> you think it's a little good. overrated? Nah, I just – I man, what a debate. I just think that, like, like, for example, like UAA, like I think that conference is probably one of the best conferences in D3. Yeah. So I don't know if, like – because you, I feel like a lot of those teams, however many teams they have, like the NESCAC at this moment right now doesn't have as many, like – good teams as you know a league like that yeah. if that makes sense you i can see I mean? that i can see that we actually had a a nescac uaa challenge yeah and i don't think the nescacs i mean we it was competitive like i yeah no no we, we should have won both could have won both games for sure but the ua definitely got the better of the nescac in that challenge so ua is definitely tough but um yeah getting back to that question about about last season i talked a little bit about it um but we really had a team where we had a, a very strong leadership. So we had a senior class of, of six guys um, that had been there for a while. And, you know, as I said before, we weren't super successful the season before, and it was kind of the same group of guys. Um, and so I think from an early stage, we definitely had that mindset of, of we had that chip on our shoulder, like we got to bring it every single day. And it, it did, wasn't super successful early on. Um, we had some bad losses in the first half of the season. Um, I think kind of what turned it around, one of the things with that group um, was just optimism. Like, I just felt like at, at every given moment, especially from those seniors, like, there was just always a sense of, like, we got this. Like, no matter what situation we're in. I remember, especially in the NESCAC, most of those games were down at halftime. Um, a lot of the regular season games in the NESCAC championship game, like we're down at half and we're going to that locker room, like, like pissed that we're down, but it's like, yo, there's no doubt in my mind that we're winning this game. And so that attitude of like, always, always um, feeling like we can win was huge. Um, and I think it was also just a commitment of bringing our identity to every single practice, every single game to where we started you kind of saw a difference even within our practices of like the level of physicality and intensity that we started playing with. Um, and it really translated to the game where we had a really good team. Like we can match physically with every team. Um, we had slashers like Connor Rude. Um, I feel like me and Hank were some of the best, like we could get our own bucket at any time. Um, so we were really dynamic and it, I think it was just figuring out how we can bring that. Um, and man, it, it was the greatest feeling when we were able to, uh, you know, winning that championship was, was one of the best feelings ever. And then obviously in the tournament, um, it was, yeah, it was amazing to be there as well. I just want to, you know, ask you about kind of how that attitude helped you in the NCAA tournament. You guys won a game, you made it to the second round of the tournament. Um, so kind of talk about your team's thoughts going into it and also your own individual thoughts, because that's a time where, you know, big players make big time plays, bro. You're, gonna, you're, on, the, you're on the scene. So talk about your mindset going in. Yeah. Our mindset going in was I think we did a good job of, you know, we won the NESCAC championship, but we didn't really get too much caught up into it. Um, I remember that Monday we had a meeting with the team and it was like, all right, like that felt good. We celebrated that. And now we got a two, uh, one, two games next week that we got to prepare for. And so I think we moved on well. Um, my mindset going in, 
um, I really just wanted it. I wanted to enjoy it. Um, it's not an opportunity you get a lot. Like at that stage of the season for me, I always feel like very relaxed because at that, especially with that team, we had proven that we could be good and we had put in so much work. So at that point, it's like either we get it done or we don't. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not doubting whether these guys are gonna bring it or not. I'm not doubting how good we are. I knew we were gonna bring it, um, and we prepared really well that week. Actually, it was a funny story. We played Montclair State, um, which I don't know if you guys have either. Of you guys played them? No, I, they're in Jersey though, right? Yeah. So they have they press all game, and they're like all below kind of six five guards. They press all game. They try to run up and down score a bunch of points and so that week in practice we were just trying to handle their press and we would uh practice against their press where the defense would have six guys on defense and I remember in practice that whole week we were throwing turnover after turnover and I'm going to that game like yo we are not ready for this press but we'd been practicing with six guys so we got in and we handled it really well um and and we kind of handled business after that first game um we were kind of just like focused on the next one. Uh, but obviously it was a great feeling. That second game was tough because we, uh, it was Johns Hopkins and they were the ones hosting, you know, they're a great team, but we, it was tied with like at halftime with about a minute left. I actually ended up fracturing my tibia uh, in my left knee. And so I'd come down. It was like non-contact. It was kind of a freak injury, kind of hyperextended. And we didn't know what it was at the time, but kind of just made the decision, like, I got a, a two years a, ahead and, and this seems pretty unstable. Like, I probably shouldn't play. Um, and then, you know, playing, you know, obviously I feel like I have a huge impact on the team. That second half, it kind of got a little bit away from us. Um, you know, some bad foul calls, obviously with the home court, we didn't get some foul calls. Um, but I, I feel like we really could have made more of a run um, with that team, but you know, I'm I'm grateful for what we were able to do. Yeah. Ruda and I both dealing with, he's dealing with an injury, coming back from one right now. I dealt with one last year. And that feeling of should I go back in or should I play for the future is definitely tough. So talk to me a little about, like, do you live with that regret? Like, oh, what if I played in that game or if I continue to, um, I don't know, like, what were you thinking when you, like went down on that injury and then had the decision, like, am I going to keep going or not? Yeah, no, it was tough. One of the toughest moments I've had to go through on the, on the court. Um, Cause I knew it, as soon as I landed, I felt the pop and immediate pain. So I mean, I, I thought to the worst, I was like, I tore something and it's like over. Um, and so I remember I was kind of freaking out, but the trainer kind of calmed me down. And as the pain went down, like, there was just like clicking in my knee and like, it wasn't feeling super stable. And he's like, I can't let you play. Um, but that, that regret that definitely stays with you for a while, especially when you have, I mean, I couldn't play. I was out till like really July. I wasn't playing basketball contact wise until like late July, early August. And so especially having that amount of time where you're not playing again and you just kind of have a lot of time to think about it. Um, it, it definitely stays with me. Um, at this point, obviously, I wish I could have it back. I've kind of moved past it, and you know, we have we have an opportunity next year as well to to kind of make up for that. Um, but yeah, it definitely does stay with you. It's a good motivator as well, though. Um, gets you back in the gym. Um, 
because, you know, you feel like you have something to prove. This year's team finished 11 and 14, only four and six in the NESCAC. So talk to me about what this team struggled with or was missing compared to last year's team. Obviously, probably not where you guys expected to bounce back from winning the NESCAC last year to losing in the first round of playoffs this year. So talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, this year's team was is really different. We lost six seniors, um, and we have two seniors, uh, had two seniors this year. And so, and we had a big incoming freshman class, um, sophomore class. One of the guys had a torn ACL until halfway through this season. Other guy got some minutes. But this year's team was really completely, we had to kind of start fresh um, to where you have guys, half the team has never practiced before. And you, like, you know how big of an adjustment that can be from high school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously there were a lot of things in our control um, that that we that we definitely should have done better. Um, it was tough, like, obviously starting out the year, we had some struggles. Um, we had some, a lot of guys, we were practicing with nine or 10 guys for like the first couple months of practice. So even then it's hard to build a lot of habits. But, you know, obviously, um, with the younger team, we're going to, we make, there's some things that we got to, what got to go through and we don't have a lot of that experience. Um, I take a lot of some of that blame as well. Like, you know, being a captain, um, you know, it's our responsibility to, to, to kind of show the younger guys and, and lead by example. Um, but it really makes you realize, I think, ha having been through three seasons that have all been really different, um, in our success, especially, is that even this season, like going to NESCAC play, we were four and we ended up four and six. Williams, we lost by one off of a missed call and a missed and a missed game winning shot. Uh, Wesley was double overtime. Amherst, we were up 10 with like, you know, six minutes left. Um, you know, Bowden was like very close loss. So you look back and it's like, damn, yeah, you got to own those mistakes that you made. Like you're not blaming any anyone else but yourself for those losses, but you also look at it like you're that close from being the difference between four and six and seven and three. Um, and so you really realize it's not necessarily a talent thing, um, but just your approach to those tiniest of details that can decide your entire season. Um, and so I think, you know, obviously you don't want to go through a tough season like this where you're not very successful. But, you know, my freshman year, we had a terrible season and we come back the next year and win the NESCAC championship. And so sometimes those struggles can be some of the biggest motivators. And they also kind of develop that that scar tissue to where you've been through it. And so now you don't really make those same mistakes again, like you kind of learn from them. So I think if we take that type of optimistic approach, um, we're due for a, a really good, good season next year because we're bringing back 90% of our guys and we got a lot of talent. Um, and so I'm really excited for what we can do. Word. One thing I noticed looking through this season is the difference between you guys playing at home versus playing at away. You're eight and three at home and two and nine on the road. So talk to me about what Hamilton's home games are like and if you have any perspective on why there was such a difference between your home play and away play. Yeah, um, I mean, playing at home is awesome. Um, you know, to play in front of the fans. We have like a a great 
court to wide open court kind of feels like a stadium. Um, and so, you know, you practice there every day, especially with the team um, that's a little younger. I think you definitely feel more comfortable at home. Um, uh, going away is obviously always tough with the, the road trips and traveling and, and opposing fans. Um, obviously, you try not to let it affect you. I like playing away too. Um, but I think, I think a lot to do with it is just the comfort and then having kind of that momentum of the crowd behind you has a lot to do with that. Um, so when I talk to a lot of my friends that play in the NESCAC, they talk about how there, you know, there's certain teams that, you know, they may dislike, or there's matchups that they look forward to certain player matchups, whatever it may be. And, you know, you commented on the NESCAC saying it's a great league. It's a really good league. Um, do you have any matchups or rivals yourself? Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah. I think with any league, like you play the same dudes every year. And so by your sophomore, junior, senior year, you've developed that kind of rivalry. Like, you know, it. like it's a, it's competitive because you're seeing the same guys every year. Um, I think with me, some of the ones I take uh, are a little special. Williams is one team we've never beat um, throughout all three years. And so I always go into that game. Like we got to get them at some point. Um, another team, Amherst, we've had, uh, had, had some history with. And they're always a really physical team. Um, those are the type of games that that are really like competitive and fun. Um, so that's a, that's another team that always we try to come with a chip on our shoulder. Um, certain player matchups. Um, I know uh, Wesleyan uh, has has two good guards. Nikki Johnson, I think, we're, like we're the same class. Um, he's also a really good point guard for Wesleyan. So I always look forward to that. There's no like. Like, I don't think it's nothing like bad there, but yeah, I always yeah, just yeah. look forward to that because he's very skilled and has another point guard. Um, but yeah, you know, it's really with every school. It's, it just feels like mm. a little bit extra. Because you guys really yeah. only play each other one time a year. So it's like that mean that yeah. game means so much yeah. more. It does. It does. You guys both. Yeah. You play each other twice. In yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yeah. I got to yeah. see this dude two times a year. Damn. <laughs> and you still have a, a tournament as well. Yeah. Because I know, like, the UAA, they play twice, but they don't have the tournament. No. Nah. You guys, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, nah, it's tough. Yeah. So, moving on, um, you're coached by a great coach, one of the best coaches in the East region, Coach Stockwell. He's been the head coach at Hamilton since 2011, won the NESCAC Coach of the Year in 2018. Talk a little about your relationship with him and – what you value most about his coaching style? Yeah, um, I talked a little a little bit about this before, but he was such a large reason that I came in the first place. Um, really, his approach to being a coach was just that he cares about you as a person um, outside of basketball. He wants you to develop um, and make sure you're successful on kind of all the frontiers. Um, and so that's something I just really value a lot. Um, and kind of his personality is he's a very straight up honest guy. So he's not going to bullshit you. Um, and so it means a lot, like when he shows you love and you like, you really know that you're doing something right. Um, and then when he gets on you, he'll tell you straight up, but you appreciate that. Cause you like, you kind of know what you're going to get with him. Um, and then obviously basketball wise, he's a great coach, um, extremely like detail oriented. Um, I never really have to doubt 
or I never doubt like our schemes and stuff because I know X's and O's wise. He's always like three, four steps ahead of uh, in terms of our game plan and what we're running and stuff. One of my favorite moments actually was um, last year in the NESCAC championship, we were playing Colby um, and they, and we're running our offense um, where, you know, we have split screens and all this ball screens going on. We scored 17 points in the first half because Colby was switching everything. Um, and so they were kind of taking away a lot of our actions. And we go into halftime. And in the second half, we just ran this four out where we were like, all right, they're going to switch our actions. But I don't think they can guard us one-on-one. -on -one. So it was like me, Hank, Connor, Rude from last year. And it was just like, go go four out and just ISO. Take your man. If, if he stops you, pass to the next guy, you go. And it was just like, we've never run that in any game the entire year. And we just decided to make that adjustment in the NESCAC championship. And it was the funnest basketball I've ever played. It felt like a pro-am. We're just like walking down, like, oh, my turn. All right, I got it. All right, next time you got it, Hank. Like, you you take your guy. And we scored 50 points in this, like in the second half. Um, it's just like, yeah, we're just hooping on them. Uh, yeah, so adjustments like that, it's like, man, the guy's like, his brain is thinking the game at, on a level that I, I couldn't. So to have that trust in him is, I think, is special. Yeah. Ruda and I were talking earlier. I mentioned that hit, one thing I like about his coach is he gives them the freedom to just be like, all right, you got a matchup, like mismatch, just go at him. Like, we don't need to run a set. And that's often overlooked in coaches, like, oh, he's not doing anything, just got good players. But like you said, to make that adjustment and give your players the freedom to play like that is is extremely important and also i noticed that he played professionally in ireland so did coach coffee rudis coach so you can kind of see how like being a player yourself can transition into being a, a better player because he was a bucket he was a hall of fame and at lamoy college so respect to him yeah man I, yeah man he was he was he's a hooper um if i have a funny story it was actually the year before i came during that COVID year um not a lot of like strict, like you couldn't really practice and not a lot of guys could play. So I remember the guys are telling me that he played with the team and would practice. And you know how coach will, a lot of college coaches would be like, all right, you don't want to one foot finishes. We don't do that. Like one foot fades, like behind the back passes. Like we don't do that. Like, this is how I want you to play. And they always talk about how when he played with them, like he was doing all the things that he says not to do. And was just hooping on everyone. Step backs behind the back passes, like everything. So yeah, he could definitely play. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a little break real quick. Yeah. All right, we're back. And something unique about yourself is you practice Sikhism, you wear the turban during the games. Something uh uh head head cap over your hair. I don't know how you want to describe it, but talk a little about your religion and what the turban means to you. Yeah, man. So the, the turban, um, and my Sikh religion, it, it really is at like the core core of who I am. Um, so growing up, um, come from a very like religiously dedicated family. Um, so I grow up wearing the turban and our community is very, very tight knit. Um, and so a lot of the community has immigrated from, so we come from, the Punjab region of India, which is northern India, 
Um, so, some of it's in Pakistan as well, um, but we come from that region. And a lot of Sikhs immigrated kind of in the 60s, 70s, um, and 80s. And so, you know, in every city, there's a, a pretty good uh, Sikh population. But in Canada, there's a huge Sikh population, both in Toronto and Vancouver. Um, and so the community is very tight-knit um, because, you know, there's not a lot of us. Um, and so growing up, my the Sikh community just meant a lot to me. Um, and, you know, the turban really what it is we call it like the distar is as the name in, in Punjabi it's the it kind of represents all the values of our religion um and so you know something that means a lot is like within our religion like the warrior kind of identity and mentality is a big thing so historically um our religion started in the you know, 14, late 15th century, early uh, 16th century. Um, and we kind of created this unique identity. Our founders have kind of created this unique identity of challenging the, you know, the social and political norms of the time and kind of preaching this idea of like oneness and equality. Um, and it was a very unique kind of idea at the time. And as we kind of gained uh, a community and starting to establish kind of our own sovereignty, there was a lot of pushback from, you know, the existing rulers of the time, which is like the Mughal empire. And so historically throughout the, you know, 15, 16, 17, really throughout our whole history, there's been a lot of conflict and challenging of, of our own identity. And so we've had to fight um, for a lot um, on the battlefield um, and everything. And so, and all the way, you know, up until today, there's a lot of political tensions, even um, that's kind of ingrained in who we are. And so this turban was given to us. It was a, historically, it was a symbol of royalty. So kings would wear turbans that like you see, like the, the Middle Eastern or like uh, Muslim kings that would wear these turbans as a symbol of royalty. And so for us, our community wasn't made up of so-and-so kings you know we came from all different farmers different castes um in india but this turban and this identity was given to us to elevate us to this kind of sovereign um identity and so actually if you know my last name Singh, um every sick boy or male has either should have the middle or last name Singh, and every sick female should have the middle or last name gore and that was kind of given to us as as kind of the same idea where Singh means um, lion or tiger and Gore means, you know, female warrior princess. And so these these types of labels and, and this image um, was really given to us to to um, to make us realize the power and sovereignty that we had. Um, but it's also a symbol of of, you know, you have this responsibility um, of of enforcing this justice, but also enforcing this, this idea of equality um, and oneness among us. And so for me growing up um, wearing a turban, being the only one wearing a turban, that's not anything new in our history. Um, you're almost supposed to be unique. That's why it was given to us. Um, but growing up, it really represents that fight, that warrior uh, identity that my, my responsibility, you know, just as a Sikh 
uh, yeah, all that is kind of summed up in this. And so it's really rep a representation of who I am. That's fire. Nah, I definitely respect that perspective you just gave, gave us because I feel like I know, I know a lot about your religion now. So thank you for that. I want to yeah, kind of hear about how that in, interacts with or intertwines with your basketball relationship with teammates, opposing fans, opposing teams. Like, are there ever times where you travel somewhere and people are talking about your turban? Talk to me about that. Yeah, um, I've definitely had some some uh, interactions. It's funny. I didn't think about this. I didn't really come to this realization until I was kind of looking at thinking about this question. But growing up, I always felt basketball. I was never discouraged by the fact that I wore a turban in basketball. But I always felt that basketball was a place where this didn't matter because on the court, it's about your game. So I would come into games, actually, every time I step on a court, the other team would usually be like, oh, yo, he's, you know, steal the ball from him or he's not going to do this. And then they'd always be surprised. But in reality, it doesn't really matter, you know, what you look like. Um, and so I think that growing up, I kind of felt that the basketball was kind of not an escape, but it was just kind of a, a separate thing where looks, identity didn't matter. Um, and what's been really cool, and I'm, I'm sure we can talk about a little later too, is just how recently um, the impact I've been able to have on the community and stuff. It's not this like my turban and my identity isn't separate when I'm on the court. Like it's actually an empowering thing. Like people already mm -hmm. see this and it's like, wow. Um, like that's so cool that you're representing that on the court and it's inspiring the next generation, the rest of the community. So that I think that, that's something cool that that's kind of come out of playing basketball with it. Some, uh, uh, I've had some encounters for sure. Um, some rate, like a couple, like really racist ones. I can't repeat here. One was in like eighth grade, call me like a, a bad slur. Like I'd never even heard of, um, but, uh, it, it, it's never really bothered me. Um, because it's never, it, you realize it just comes out of ignorance and it wasn't really ever prominent enough to where like, I'm just walking the court and everyone's shouting racist insults. Like that's not really yeah. how it is. It's just kind of one off here and there. A couple other funny ones. In high school, I think it was my sophomore year, we were playing, I think it was their senior night, so like the whole school was there. And every time I caught the ball, the entire student section was screaming like, wave check. Because especially mm -hmm. back then, the way I wore my turban looked like a do-rag because I would just wear it down like that. So they're screaming wave check. Um, last year in the NCAA tournament, uh, this one was kind of bad. It was against Johns Hopkins. And as I was throwing the ball in bounds right in front of their student section, like the dudes are yelling, like, cut your hair, cut your, uh, cut your beard, this and that. And if you know, like part of the sick identity is that you keep your hair. So that was one where I was like, you know, I don't, I don't play about that. And I was going to stop and say something. Um, Cause that's not, that's not a boundary you cross in the moment of the game though. I felt like, I can't do that because it kind of distracts my teammates as well. Not just not just about me. Um, so I, that's something I could have could have kind of stopped or talked about it, but didn't really end up um, ever dealing with that one. But yeah, those are a couple. Mostly people are good. I've had some refs that are just ignorant. Like a ref has come up to me before and they're like, "Yeah, so I'm assuming there's nothing sharp or metal under there, right?" I'm like, "Bro, what do you Bro, think what? is I <laughs> like what?" <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's it's nothing really that ever bothers me. Nah, I respect it. I was gonna say too, I respect your insight that you just gave us. I know KJ gave you flowers earlier, bro, but definitely that insight you're giving us is really empowering. Just talking about the warrior mentality, all that stuff. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And hey, man, um, appreciate you guys asking. But so I looked at your Instagram and I saw a reel with Game Six Sports Academy. I'm assuming that's a gym back home. Um, do you feel or you know we're, we're gonna put the clip of the reel you know in in post so you so okay. viewers will see it but um basically it's you know you're about to take a layup or dunk and young um sick hoopers are like keep flashing back and forth um so it maybe it makes me think um do you feel like you're inspiring the next generation of sick hoopers yeah for sure um so that's actually game six is my uncle runs that gym he lives in toronto Okay. So he runs this gym called Game Six, and they have a pretty large community out there. And so they have these whole youth programs, um, and he's really working, like, like he's he's working hard to really bring out the next generation of sick hoopers. Um, he has a lot of talent there, and he's a great person, great coach. Um, so he's definitely cultivating talent and and doing great work for the community. Um, in terms, of, so yeah, we always go there and film videos. Those um, those are actually his kids, my cousins. <laughs> that are in the video so it's and they're they're gonna be good hoopers as well so it's always great to be able to to do some videos with them um in terms of inspiring the next generation i mean especially recently it's it's huge for me um it's it's like one of the the biggest reasons i play now um because it wasn't always like that um growing up it's not something i really ever considered because no one really knew who i was um really up until high school senior year when I had that post by ball don't stop um posted posted me and kind of went viral and our community is one of those communities where we're so tight-knit where you see another sick being successful it's like the whole community wins like everyone's reaching out everyone's going crazy about it um and so it was really special for me realizing the impact that I was able to have where I was getting dms from kids all over um just telling me how much i inspire them or asking advice or this and that and i um and it's really humbling because growing up for the first like 18 19 years of my life like i just played basketball because i liked basketball i didn't go into it for this or anything like that but being able to see that impact at this point um you know i got uh my senior year you know maybe hopes of playing pro after but but really the the one of the biggest reasons I play is just is just so that you know someone else can see me and be like, damn, there was a a sick that wears a turb that hat, keeps their hair, that plays college basketball or played at this level, like that's inspiring. I didn't really have that. I mean, I had a couple growing up that played college basketball, but to be able to provide that image and kind of uh, inspiration for the next generation of six, like that that for me is bigger than any personal achievement that I can, I can, uh, do by myself. Like it's just that much bigger than me. Yeah. I got a quick question. Looking through your Instagram, uh, the highlight reels you were talking about that your brother does, you can see other people in the stands wearing turbans, um, not trying to be ignorant, but is that your family? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, first of all, I have to shout out my brother because I don't think I would be at this stage in terms of 
the community knowing who I was if it wasn't for him because he's really the one that films and posts me and everything. So shout out him, Jajar Films. Um, shout out him. You guys want to check Go him tune out. into yep. his films. Yep. Um, but yeah, so a lot of it. So I have family friend. This kind of shows you how close the Sikh community is. There is a Sikh family that lives like 10 minutes from here. Um, the dad uh, followed me from before he played D1 tennis. So he follows Sikh athletes and he found out I was coming here. And so he reached out and I met them and like, they've been like family ever since. Like we've just been super close. Um, and so they come to a bunch of the games. They have young kids. My family does come to a lot of the games, um, but it's just that type of thing where we know a lot of people around the country, around the community. And so whenever we travel, there's usually someone that we know that they come, but then they're going to be like, all right, there's a sick plane. We got to bring the other six that we know to come watch and play. So it's funny when we play in other cities, my team doesn't question it anymore. But the first time we went to Texas uh, last year because two of our teammates are from Texas. And I had like, we knew, I think one family in Texas. So my parents came, we knew one other family. And he actually, he was the first sick, uh, we played the, his alma mater, he was the first sick college hooper. So it was really dope. He played for Trinity and then I ended up playing Trinity. We kind of reached out, I'm like, I'm playing you, your alma mater. And so he came and he brought like his entire family. So there was like 25, 30 people there. And like, I had never really met him. Um, and I'm like, yo, is that your family? I'm like, kind of like, no, but you know, um, same thing, we went to Baltimore. So it's really special. Um, it's just like a blessing to have that type of support wherever I go. Um, That's but dope. Yeah, that, so some of it's my family, some of it's not. But Talking about that support, obviously you talked about ball on stop. And um, I don't know how to really pronounce Ekum. Um, Ekum. Ekum. Okay, Ekum yeah. from Ball on Stop um, tagged yeah. you in a post highlighting different sick hoopers. Um, so I just wanted to like, talk about your relationship with him. Yeah. So, um, I've actually never met him in person. Um, I've talked to him uh, a bunch online and I feel cl like relatively close to him now, but it's funny because growing up, I think he kind of got popular while I was in high school. So uh, me and my brother would watch him a lot because it was like, Oh, this is sick analyst. And he had like dope commentary and all that. He had a pretty big following. And so we would watch him a bunch. And when my brother released that, my senior year mixtape, I think it was like a few months later. Yeah, it was my freshman year because it was like October. So it was like months later. And I don't think I'd ever, he might've reached out once and been like, yo, keep going, this and that. But I never really talked to him. And then all of a sudden I just saw I was tagging his post. Like he didn't tell me or anything. I don't even know how he got the clips because he didn't talk to my brother. Um, but yeah, he tagged me and like, tweeted it instagram and like it was crazy i've never seen that was the first time i was exposed to like the type of support i was getting where i got was like a thousand followers in the next like few days i had like over 100 dms from all these different people so i really got to thank him too for for what he's doing for the community because he's at such a high level um to where he's taught like talking to the kevin durant and he's in that type of realm um and he's putting on for the sick community so that's amazing what he's doing and also for giving me that exposure. Um, I feel like it's a big reason. Um, and then, you know, I talk to him now and then on Instagram. Um, he'll give me advice or, or uh, 
you know, just tell me to keep going. And I'm looking forward to meeting him and, and working out with him actually when I go. He's from Vancouver, uh, where I have a lot of family there. So for for those who don't know who we're talking about, um, Ball Don't Stop Instagram page, go check it out. Over 260,000 followers. He breaks down basketball, one of the um most trusted voices I've seen. Uh, just really knows what he's talking about. So definitely go check that out. Yeah. But we're going to end this episode with a little rapid fire and starting five edition. So let us know when you're ready for rapid fire. Let's go. All right. Top three basketball cities. Top three basketball cities. Okay. Um, I got to put Seattle on there. <laughs> um, in order or no order? No order, no order. No order. I got to put Seattle on there. Um, I forgot. <laughs> I'm going to show love to uh, to one of my teammates, Christian. I'll say DC. <laughs> um, the DMV, I've seen, I've seen a lot of Hoopers come out of there. And I feel like I always see Hoopers come out of, like, California. Like, I'd say either New Jersey or L.A. maybe. Come um, on, bro. You got to give love to New York. Yeah, I was about to say. New York, yeah. 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 So you know what though? I never played. I never played the New York comp, so I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fair. But you might need to. You might need what, to pop out. Who's that. better, New Jersey or New York? New York, New York for sure. I'm I'm saying that quickly, New York. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah. but I respect the Jersey Jersey hoop for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's definitely a debate. I feel like, I feel like it's a debate. But it's debate. Yeah, we could debate. Debate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, favorite artist. I gotta go with Meek Mill. Hey, okay. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite song? song yeah. What's your favorite song, song by him? I don't. It's a slept-on song. Hip hop. It was in his like dream chase. Yo, that junk goes crazy. You know that? <laughs> Lean like I'm Kareem. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That song is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> not a lot of people know that one, but his dream chasers mixtapes are crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then funniest teammate. Christian. McDaniel. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's hilarious. I've never, or actually, or Cooper, uh, Shu. He's from. He's actually he walked on. He was from China. Came to Hamilton, walked on. Those two are hilarious. Never failed to make me laugh. That's fine. All right, this is starting five edition. Um, I'll explain it real quick. So, if you were a coach assembling a starting five, point guard through center, who would these players be? And this edition is going to be NESCAC players. So from this past season, NESCAC players, and just describe like a sentence or two about what makes them so tough in your opinion. So this is my, including my team as well? Yeah, you can include okay. yourself as well if you think you're top five in the NESCAC. Yeah. All right. So if I was a coach, I mean, I got to, I feel like the three we got in our team, me, Hank, and Garrett, um, all – I mean, with me, I feel like um, one of the most skilled players there is. Um, I feel like I always go get a bucket. Um, great shot. Hank is like my my partner killer. Um, just a force. He's like 6'5", super skilled, plays at a great pace, um, strong. And then Garrett, I think a lot of people slept on him. Um, but, he, I mean... He's an amazing player. He's, he has the potential. I, I always tell him, like, his potential to be, like, NESCAC player of the year at some point. He's a sophomore right now. Um, but he averaged 15 this year and was putting up 
20 balls on all the NESCAC teams. Uh, outside of them, I guess that would be point guard, um, small forward, and power forward. I would put either two and a five. Yeah, two and a five. I would put actually, you know, what? I'll slide Hank to the two. Um, I'll give the three. I'll put Ben Callahan gold. I don't know if you guys have played Trinity, but I've never seen <laughs> that dude is just a tough shot maker. Like all the shots that you're like, you feel good about, like, damn, I forced him into a good, a tough shot. He'll just hit him. So, I mean, I think, I think he originally went to a D1 school. So he's really a D1 yeah. talent. Um, he's really good. And then I would probably put David Murray uh, at center. He, he's, a, he's a pretty unstoppable force. Where's he playing? Um, Con College. Con. He's tough. Okay. Yeah, he's tough. He's not super tall, and he and his game is post up, but he's pretty unstoppable. He's, he's strong as hell. Yeah, strong. strong as his hell. he has a wide wingspan or wingspan, so he'll just hook it right over. Nah, here. I'm not gonna lie. We might need to set up the NESCAC versus E8 uh, top yeah. top five versus top five. That'd be tough. Yeah, we might need to. That would be tough. <laughs> But yeah. that's going to do it for another episode of Not Even D2. Uh, we appreciate you joining the show, Teja. It's been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate your questions and having me on. Yes, sir, bro. Sure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Even D2. If you haven't already, make sure to go follow all the socials at Not Even D2. You can catch every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, KJ Allison. And I'll see you next episode.